everybody, this is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Police Cast. Once again, I'm so excited to be on and to be able to share an amazing person with you today, Ryan Severson. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited for uh, our listeners to hear your story. And, uh, you know, I first uh, had contact with you and got to know you a little bit when I saw you on Good Things Utah. Yes. And I was coming on after you and, and I had the privilege of sitting and listening to your story and what you do and I was like man this this guy would be awesome to have on so thank you for joining us oh thank you um, I want to thank our sponsor veracity uh, networks thank you for believing in me and helping uh, get the word out and I also want to thank all your listeners for believing in me as well truly uh, we have had some amazing stories and the feedback from you guys have been so has been so great so thank you so much and uh, Anyway, so I, you know, we're here bright and early, and uh, thanks for coming early, Brian. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so why don't you give us a little background? Uh, well, I, I, I do want to say you have you have a company called Blankets by Brian, and it's it's a pretty pretty amazing and cool story how that all came about, and we're, we're going to get to that in a minute, and it has to, a lot to do with uh, your grandmas. And the yes. influence they had on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear, uh, have our listeners hear that. And then, um, and I think a lot of, uh, one of the reasons why you do this uh, Blankets by Brian is, is bringing comfort to other people. Yeah. And uh, you had a friend who went through a horrific divorce and you wanted to be able to do something with that person. Right. And you're like, well, I'm not even sure what to do. But right. then this blanket became this kind of, yeah. you know, bridge between the two of you that I can always be with you. Right, right. Is that fair? Is that that's pretty um, accurate? The uh, very exact definition okay. of how that all started. Yep. Okay, so we'll get into that. Well, thanks uh, for being here. So, give us a little background, Brian, on you know where you grew up and a little bit about your family. Uh, I grew up just uh, toss over the mountain to Heber. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when people hear that I grew up in Heber, they go, "Oh, that's so beautiful up there," and I have to say, yes. Of course it is. But right. the Heber that exists up there today is about one million times bigger than the Heber <laughs> I grew up in. Oh, okay. I grew up in um, an extremely small town, very small town ideology and very small town. Um, sure. Very, very small. I can't emphasize enough. Very yeah. small town. <laughs> we had no chain restaurants. We had, I mean, we're talking <laughs> about very small up. Small right. town upbringing, yeah. Yeah, welcome uh, to Heber on both sides of the sign. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, people would say, how do you get here? We only had one street light, if that gives you any indication. So yeah. we'd say, go to the street light and then go to more blocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow. So, uh, yeah, it was a small town, which um, it, it was what it, it is what it is. Sure. But it's not at all what it is now. Yeah, it's a um, different. I someone just told me the other day there's like six golf courses or some crazy number up there. No, wow. there was nothing like nothing. <laughs> there weren't fancy home parts of right. Heber. There weren't um no. We were all just one community. In fact, we really there was no strangers in Heber because it was so small. We did know yeah. every single person. Right. Did you did you like that or did you wish um, it was different? It was okay. Yeah. When I was young. Yeah. Um my interests were not within what Heber had to offer. Okay. Anything like that. So gotcha. as I started developing, I would say it was a big hindrance. Uh, as a child, you know, building a tree house and running through the mountains and stuff like that, it, it works. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because I, th I, I mean, you look back at stuff like that and I don't know, you just did whatever your friends were doing. Yeah. So, right. um, <laughs> But then I'd say about junior high, I started feeling the aches and pains of growing up in a small town because my interests did not lie in farming and they did <laughs> okay. not lie in, sure. I mean, sports, really. That was the only two, <laughs> two things you could do. <laughs> yeah. right. I hate to say it, but my high school, I mean, at the time I graduated, the number one export out of Heber was probably teen pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, okay. because there was yeah. nothing to do right? other than, I mean, probably drugs behind the 7-Eleven. Right. Did you have uh, brothers and sisters? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, two brothers, two sisters. Okay. My dad was the, a school teacher at an elementary school. Um, that was kind of cool to be able to have my dad as a school teacher. And um, everything was going along pretty fine until about puberty, which is probably junior high for most people. Okay. And right. um, then it kind of took a sharp turn with uh, bullying. Okay. Can, do you mind sharing some of that no. with us? I don't. Uh, in fact, some days I would love to be more knowledgeable and maybe even a charity down those lines because bullying really affects the rest of your life. Sure. It doesn't, it's not a get over type of a thing. It's a learn how to live with it. At least that has been my experience. Is experience. It's a learn to live with it for the rest of your life type right. thing. So um, when I was a kid, I found a lot of peace and tranquility with my grandmas. Um, and that really never ended, but I did lose one of my grandmas early on, probably when I was eight or 10, which is, isn't that about the same time as junior high? Yeah. Yeah. Right before. Just yeah, somewhere sixth, around there. Yeah. Grade. yeah. So then I would say that most of my classmates, in fact, my friends, um, probably because I'm, uh, as I started growing up, I started probably showing more effeminate um, characteristics. Right. And at that time, um, I mean, the cat's out of the bag. I am. I grew up to find out that I was gay. But as a child, I don't know that sexuality really comes into play, maybe probably tell puberty. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't that I felt gay back then. It was more that um, I probably acted it. Oh, and gotcha. in a small town... There's no education right. past teasing. <laughs> what yes, do you think? So kids, you know, think look at that as like it's different. So let's let's tease this kid. My best friends from my whole life turned their backs to me okay. and became part of the bullies. Okay. Yeah. And and that started in junior high is when the bullying started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember going home thinking my best friend won't talk to me anymore. Hmm. What did I do? I don't understand. Well, and, and it's probably even magnified because it's such a small town. Yep. You're thinking, well, who do I even turn to at this point? Right. right. Right? So that probably made it even more difficult for you right. to have to deal with that. It was so challenging. And I, I mean, my parents raised me Mormon. And so I know that they did a great job with the tools they were given. Right. I do understand that. Sure. But there are a lot of limitations within that religion to help a kid going through issues. Right. Especially when it came to sexuality. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. And my parents were very uncomfortable talking about sex. And so even talking about anything past that, that was not the person that I was going to go to and say, Right. In junior high and high school, as I started thinking about things, um, that's not, even though they would have listened. Yeah. Well, it's a scary subject for everyone, it seems like. You know, it's, it's in the awkward, 80s, and especially in the 80s. The 80s was a horrible time for this yeah. community because of how yeah. the AIDS outbreak and how yeah. the government handled it. And there was, I mean, please, I'm sure even in Hebrew, I'd heard some stuff. Right. So, yeah. yeah, no, there was no, I remember crying all the time, just crying all the time because I, there, there wasn't even the slightest possibility for me to turn to someone mm -hmm. because everyone in Hebrew was Mormon. Well, I can't say that. Probably every 95% of everybody was felt Mormon. That way. It yeah, felt like sure, that. Yeah. And so there was nobody to turn to there because I'd already been told very clearly the stance from that religion right on how I felt yeah um which was very poor and so I couldn't turn to anybody yeah it felt very very isolating yeah and at the same time being bullied that had to have been a very difficult time for you so scared for my life yeah. I I remember you know it, it kind of turned into almost an after-school special movie type thing where the kid stays in the classroom as long as possible and runs to the locker and then runs to the next class type thing. And, mm. um, I knew the ones that were the worst 
And if a teacher ever left the classroom, I wasn't even safe in class. If the teacher left the classroom, I would just start a flop sweat, like thinking, who's in this classroom? What's about to happen? Yeah. Um, who's going to The taunting and the teasing. And I was very lucky only in the sense that I was never brutally physically harmed. Okay. But I also think I was really quick. Right. I don't know that people could catch me. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm and sure I, people wanted to beat the shit out of me at times yeah. because their anger over the way I was acting. Yeah. 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 So did this, did this uh, continue on even into high school? Oh, where yeah. You felt bullied. Just even got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So it got worse. Yeah. Now, did your, did your family know that this was happening, that you were being bullied at school? Did I you... have memories of my dad begging me to talk say what's wrong you know you're not doing great in school and yeah, this and that i have on. memories sure um but i also remember the talks from church and from him about what's appropriate in the mormon religion too so it just seemed like a dead end to me yeah i honestly didn't even want the answer from that thinking <laughs> um no i'm according to everything i've learned so far i am a completely broken person. I am a misfit toy here in this world and I have no place. And according to everything I've learned, my destiny is set. Mm. I'm either going to kill myself from sadness or I'm going to, if I acted on anything that I felt, I'm going to hell. Yeah. I mean, it was very plain and clear in the eighties. You mm. are, there's, the only thing worse than being gay at that time, I remember hearing it over and over, is basically murder and child molestation. So I was being compared to a murderer. Wow. And that's the way I felt. Yeah. I felt. So I'm like, so what I'm what is my parents what would my parents even say to me? Yeah, what could I they tell even them say? the yeah. truth and then what are they gonna tell me? Yeah. So And I'd heard about recruitment or reforming camps. Right. So they I'm not going there. So they didn't know that you were gay when you were growing up. No. You kind of kept that to yourself. Absolutely. Uh, not uh, even my friends. Not even your friends. Mm -mm. No, so, my friends used to hold on to me and say, "You're crying all the time. What's wrong?" I had like four or five friends back then in high school and they were also kind of outcasts. Not really. They were nice enough. But they were nice enough to take me into their group. Right. So that had to have been somewhat a comforting at least that you had someone as kind you were of, going through this you know kind of yeah they were a year older than me so my senior year was pretty lonely okay um but it, honestly i had befriended a couple of cheerleaders and i think if those cheerleaders had to protected me basically saying to everybody in the high school we have the possibility we have the power to make you never have a date again if you don't leave him alone mm. i think it could have been so much worse so much worse but but that's just speculation so that's, that's a small little blessing as you're going through sure. all this you know sure yeah for sure yeah wow um so did when when did you you know maybe finally start talking about this and in maybe trying to get some support and some help well because it sounded like you you were just holding this all in and even your family were like what's going on what's wrong why are you struggling at school and all these things uh when was it finally when you're like you know what i need to to share this and and to be real struggled through high school barely graduating okay um didn't have a choice but was told that i'm i it's what it, I wish there was a perfect way of describing it. L asking anybody, they said, of course you have a choice to go on a mission. But there was no choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, of course you have a choice to go on a mission, but get those papers in and get the paperwork done. <laughs> and we're going to Mr. Mac to buy your suits. And of course you have a choice. So I went to the MTC. I was heading on a New York mission and basically cried for three weeks. Even my companions started complaining saying you have got to stop crying i just cried all the time around the clock because yeah. i knew i was in the wrong place i knew yeah. i shouldn't have been there so the like the two days before i was flying out i called my parents and i said no you got to come get me this isn't happening so 
after that, I worked for about a year and I, at the same time, this is literally a whole podcast in itself. My brother was the last 10 years living at home. My brother was diagnosed as one of the worst cases the University of Utah had ever seen of OCD Tourette's like he had the spectrum of everything. It was so bad and debilitating. I don't know if anybody is out there has ever seen a really bad case of OCD and Tourette's, but most of the time they're just laying on the floor crying because they can't even get across the room because their brain is so like, you have to do it this way. If you don't get across the room this way, everybody dies. If you don't turn off the lights 10 times, everybody dies. It's, it is life or death for them. And I have a lot of compassion for my younger brother. He, he went through absolute hell, but Again, that's a whole separate story. So the last 10 years was very difficult in my home for that reason also. So your parents are dealing with him, trying to... 100% dealing with him. It took them both around the clock just to keep him alive. And I did what I could, but as a teenager, you're pretty selfish. Sure. And I started to despise him and... It, he, he made me mad. Yeah. You know, you're taking away. Even though I understood. Take, well, yeah. But again, as you're going through this, you're like, you know, you almost feel abandoned. It's like, you know, here I am. Yeah. I need help too. You know, I'm, you're not the only one struggling. And, right. And so that's a tough situation to be in. So the year after I came back off the MTC, at home from MTC, I worked. And then my mom just looked at me one day and I, I say this with all the love in the world. She looked at me and she says, you are moving out. You will never survive if you stay here. You know, your brother's terrible. He's ruining. You've got to get out there and develop. Right. So she um, very lovingly kicked me out of the house. There was no animosity or anything. It was all love. But I was terrified because along with bullying, I think you develop a little bit of um, agoraphobia, hmm. a fear in my experience, and I could see how it would happen to other people. I, one of my nephews was bullied awful and he has pretty bad agoraphobia and it's the only safe place they have. Explain that to our listeners who may not know what that is. The fear to leave your house or a safe space. Okay. Um, I definitely still live with that. I am way I am at a very high capacity to manage it, but it is still a very strong presence in my house mm-hmm. or in my life. In your life. Okay. To leave the house is quite overwhelming. And on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't affect me. But if somebody says, let's go on vacation, it's like, oh, I'm shutting down. Like, oh my gosh, all the things, my dogs, the house, the, you know, all right. that stuff and being away from my safe space. And it's, it's hard. So, um, Anyway, she moved me to Provo. Um, And although I'm so happy that I moved out, that may have not been the best place for me to move. But I understand why we did it. Right. My older siblings had moved to Provo, so they were familiar with the area. They knew how to get me into a, a home or a shared apartment living. So... It was easy move. And that's where we went. We stayed down there and, uh, or I went down there for three, three half years. Okay. Um, so, and that was after high school. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's, let's, you took, you know, you talked about how you found, and, and, you know, and again, looking at your website and, and obviously talking to you a little bit as well, how you found comfort with your, your two grandmothers, uh, uh, grandma Beverly and grandma Bonnie. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So talk about how that became kind of like a kind of a safe place for you for, with both of them and talk about how that came about. I don't know why they did this or if they did it consciously, but I felt at home with them. They were very attentive to me and they were very loving and comforting And it would be interesting to hear what my siblings experience was with my grandma because I felt, I just felt more special with them. Yeah. Not that my parents didn't make me feel special. I don't want to imply that at all. Um, 
when I was there with them, sometimes I was just the only person. And they seemed to genuinely enjoy my company. Right. Um, it's funny. I say all that because sometimes your childhood <laughs> recollection may not be very accurate. Right. But um, it really felt that way. With my grandma, Beverly, they both taught me everything I know really today about sewing. Um, we made quilts. I just remember making a lot of blankets and quilts with them and it was fun. And my grandma Jensen or Beverly, she would sit me down and give me a ball of yarn and say, let's just crochet. And we really never even made anything. We just crocheted. <laughs> right, and just, then we'd yeah. pretty much pull it apart and roll it up into a ball again <laughs> and stuff. So it was, yeah. it was just about the entertainment. And she really gave me, I feel like my sense of humor and, um, my i for sure my passion for animals and dogs right. i just love dogs and all creatures but she always had dogs and they always squished in in the lazy boy right next to us and it was it was just fun to be uh, at my house we never had pets in the house so okay. it was just extra special to extra have pets special in the yeah, house, to, yeah. to go there and yeah. yeah and she died pretty early unfortunately from colon cancer so um and I had an equally great experience with my other grandma, Bonnie. She was um, great. We did the quilting and, you know, the TV tray with the the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I love Lucy and then we'd quilt. And it was just, it was very, very ideal. It was perfect yeah, all I, the time. Well, it sounds like you, you felt safe there. So safe, yeah. yeah. I remember many times being offered to go like to Lagoon or go on a trip. Right. I chose so many times to go instead of going to the most fun places in right. Salt Lake or <laughs> wherever, I'd be like, well, should I go stay at grandma's? Right. And oftentimes like, no, you have to be with the family. I'm like, well, all right, whatever. Yeah. Did your grandmas know that you were bullied and, oh, no. and, and what you had been going through and they, no. they didn't have any idea about it, any of that? It, I don't know that it would ever come up. Okay. I'd walk through that front door and it was just paradise. Yeah. Like just that feeling of My safety. grandmas liked to, to, to be around kids. Yeah. That made it easy. And I honestly, I'm a low maintenance person. I remember being a low maintenance person. It was really just about sitting next to them. And if we watch TV all day, great. I don't care. Right. We can do whatever. We can drive to my Aunt Judy's house, and that's fine, too. Uh, whatever we're doing, as long as I'm sitting next to you. Right. Yeah, it was a very comforting thing. And, um, yeah, I, I really, I, I miss them for sure. They are, yeah. in one one time as an adult, I actually lived with my grandma, Bonnie, for about a year. I lived oh, in okay. her basement and yeah. um, it, while I was in between houses and stuff, and it was nice. Yeah. Um, wow, that's that's the, again, you know, blessings to have them in your life, right? And to yeah. Be able to, at least you had a place you knew where you could go. I think to feel it was safe also they never asked me. How do I say that in a positive way? I didn't bring my troubles into their house. Right. It was escapism for me, sure. probably a lot. Yeah. Like being away from everything. Yeah. Because they just wanted to be around my company and. I mean, they're for sure of an older generation. I don't know. It never came up, but I don't know how they would have handled finding out that I was gay. Right. But it never came up. Right. Do you think they maybe could sense that, though? I mean, I mean again, I know we're speculating here. My grandma Jensen, uh, she, she died when I was eight or ten, something oh, like that. So you were so really, she, you were younger. I'm just a kid gotcha. then, so I don't know. I don't think my other grandma was a was oblivious to it yeah but she was definitely of a generation i mean she, she was yeah. of that generation where she didn't do her hair until her husband came home right right so please there's a lot of looking <laughs> the other way from that generation <laughs> like not no, accepting the truth in front of you yeah <laughs> so it's hard to say but towards the end of her life i took my husband over to her house all the time right yeah. We just never talked about it. Yeah, She didn't ask. And quite honestly, I just needed one person in my life 
to not be uncomfortable around it. Well, so I didn't yeah. even want to ask. Yeah. I didn't even want to tell her about sure. it. She was fine with both of us sitting there and she appreciated my husband and, um, and she never asked. And I just needed one person to not look at me differently. Well, yeah. And I, I like that too, Brian, because by her not asking, she sent you a message that I don't care. I love you. Period. Sure. I don't. Okay. I, it's not even an issue. Yeah. Basically is what she's saying. What a powerful message. Well, I, I really did love being kind to her. Right. I don't know if I did it consciously, but I genuinely wanted to be kind to her because she was so kind to me. Right. So that's, I just wanted to be around her. I wanted to help her go to the grocery store. If she didn't need anything that I just wanted to go eat lunch with her and then take her back home as an adult. Right. That's all I wanted from her. And that's all she wanted. She just asked. She was a very simple person. So that's all she wanted. A couple angels in your life for For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, you, you, uh, have this amazing company called, uh, blankets by Brian. Yeah. Talk about that and how that came about. Sure. Um, around 2013, we had moved before that we had moved and moved in a couple different States. My husband and I, uh, 2013, we ended up back in Salt Lake. Um, very odd because I never saw myself coming back just because I was excited about exploring. Yeah. Something different. Sure. Uh, it just never was in my radar. We came back in 2013. My husband is the creator of Good Things Utah, the show that you're on. He created that. Okay. And he's been an executive at ABC4 forever. Gotcha. So he had left to do, set up shows like that at other stations. Okay. And then when the management changed, they said, we need him back to help bring back the essence of the show. And honestly, he came back also as a as a news director. And so he was over all the station. Anyway, he so he came back there because he the station needed his help okay and um it was fine i was over it i i i was happy to see my friends i didn't care if we we came back or not sure i'm (laughs) i'm totally fine moving um when we came back it was about a year of just kind of melting and then i kind of he's he said like just he understood every time i moved i had to start over because he's moving on to make career advancements where every time I move, I'm starting as the lowest man on the totem pole at the company. All right. Okay. So I feel like there was some understanding of him saying this to me. He said, you know what, just don't work for a little bit. He said originally like six months to a year, don't work. Help me get established here. You know, yeah. you can kind of be my unofficial personal assistant type uh, thing. Okay. But then we also rented a house that had a, it was a, it was a screaming deal, but it, it was a big house that took a lot of work. So he said, right. take care of the house and then help me. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what we did. Okay. Flash forward a year from that, I started feeling like I at least wanted some hobbies of my own and stuff. And so I discovered this new material called Minky and it's a fabric yeah. that I'm sure everybody has at least one blanket made out of minky fabric. Well, I have one now because you brought me one. Thank you so <laughs> much. Welcome. It's it's beautiful and it's so soft. You're welcome. I love it. Um, they sell themselves. I like to call myself a blanket artisan, jokingly, <laughs> sure. because um, they definitely sell themselves. But I lo- do love reinventing the blanket. So we, um, I discovered this and, and, you know, it was at the same time my grandma moved into a small apartment she couldn't maintain her house anymore so she said brian you know i want you to have this sewing machine and let me tell you something this machine can outdo any modern computer machine it's a workhorse because it was one of the very last all metal sewing machines made during world war ii wow in the 1940s i think she said 40s late 40s she bought it um, but I took it to a guy to have service and he says, seriously, Brian, this machine is all metal. It will never break. The only thing that will break this is not using it. And that statement that he said to me really stuck in my head. 
So I felt like I really needed to, to use it. It's one of those sewing machines that are built into a nice piece of furniture. Oh, yeah. I remember like, those. It's back. really, truly yeah. something from another era that is just, you never see anything like this anymore. So I wanted to do something with it, and I found this fabric. So honestly, I just went down to the fabric store, and I bought a couple yards. And let me tell you, I was not ready for how hard this fabric is to sew. I think my first blanket that I ever made, I had to unpick maybe five times <laughs> right. because it is a really challenging fabric to sew. So, oh, I and, and I, I wouldn't call myself an experienced sewer or seamster, seamstrow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what they call yeah, it. I'm not sure uh, either. <laughs> anyway, a person that sews. Yeah. So I wasn't super experienced at that time. But um, so anyway, I just did that at the very same time. All of this started unfolding. Long story, way too long. No, you're um, good. It, uh, my very best friend started going through a divorce. She, over the course of the summer, um, I think it was 2015 or 14, um, she started finding out stuff about her current husband that wasn't sitting right. And anything, everything unfolded. And I'm telling you, the things that were uncovered were just, you couldn't write a horror story to match the amount of stuff right. we had uncovered. So she started going through this divorce and part of her now ex-husband's issues were, as they were separating, is control. Mm -hmm. He kind of restricted her from even going to work. And when he finally allowed her to go to work, he would drive her there wait in the parking lot and take her home. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of control. So myself and some of her close friends felt very, very isolated from her. And quite honestly, I didn't know she was going to survive. She, the look when I could get around her to see her, talk to her, that look in her eyes was absolute desperation. And I don't know that I'm going to make it. So I decided I couldn't figure out how to comfort her because even when I got a phone call, it was a short phone call and everything else was very controlled. Um, I think this lasted for about a month to six weeks and I couldn't stand it anymore. So I just sat down and sewed a blanket and I thought, let's, I'm just going to make her a blanket. And what I did is one of my very first blanket inventions was I, I put charms it's very hard to describe, especially if you can't see this, but I'll try to tell your listeners. Okay. It's basically taking a charm that meant something to me and her, and I sewed it inside the blanket. It was not hanging off the outside. I took it, before I turned the blanket right side out, I sewed these charms into the okay. seam of the blanket, and I just put them randomly around the blanket. They didn't have any rhyme or reason. I think there's four or five charms inside the blanket. Then I turned it right side out and finished the blanket. So the blankets were built into inside the blanket. Okay. And what I did is I took a picture of those charms before I put them in there. And I gave her the blanket and the charms. And I said, look, honey, you're crashing. I get it. But what I need you to do is not crash below zero. Because right. I'm scared for you. Sure. And I want you to take this blanket. And when you feel like you're below zero... I need you to distract yourself by trying to find the charms. Wow. Find those charms in the blanket. Wow. It's the dumbest thing you'll ever do, but it's something. And once you feel the charm, now you have to figure out what it is. And this is like a squish ball or a Rubik's cube. Mm -hmm. There's no purpose to doing it, but it is a distraction. Well, I, I, I would disagree with you, Brian, because I think that's pretty amazing. Actually. I think, uh, because it's almost like it's the heart of the blanket, right? Is what, where my head's going as you're saying this. Mm -hmm. And and what a great exercise for when you're down and out and you're, you're struggling or whatever it might be and you're trying to find those charms that actually, and you're like, oh, that's, you know, I think this is the one that, uh, this is why this one means so much to me. Yeah, and she has a connection with dogs. So yes. there were dog charms and yeah. like I think a wine glass charm yeah. or something. Just silly things that meant something to us. And I think I even found a charm with a positive message like you're strong type yeah. message. Well, one of the best definitions I've ever come across of anxiety, and I think most people have a different one, but when you understand this, it's empowering, but it's a, it's a misuse of your imagination. 
But what you're doing is when you're having someone hold, and, and this is where my head went as you're saying this, and I might be completely off of what your purpose with was with this, but it it you're you're, you're now imagining something mm-hmm. really really good, like oh yeah, this is that dog charm, or this mm-hmm. reminds me of such and such experience that I've had. Yeah, and and again, it allows you to to imagine something beautiful and great, which again brings you back to the present moment so right. to speak and you right. feel better so anyway i just i love that um it, it it's it, it's been one of my most wonderful at, at that time it was really just about her but it evolved into something else and it's been one of my most challenging things to even try to sell to people down the road but that's another story um because it's really hard to explain most people say, I don't get it. Like, why is a charm hanging off the blanket? That's weird. Right. So it's really a visual thing that you have to see. And I haven't put it on my website to do it. But once my clients come back, I tell them about it and they understand it. And then they know how to order it. Gotcha. So it's been more of a, just give me a quick call and I'll make it right. type thing. Because it, it's very complicated to make it on the website. So she, again, the, the point was, is just... I would watch her that one day just go down to the point where she couldn't even pull herself out of bed. And so that was a distraction to just bring her. Yeah. It wasn't to make her happy. It was to bring her just back to zero. Yeah. Cause she was coming up way empty yeah. over and over. And she had sure. two kids. Um, and she would say, I can't find out one more secret. I can't, I can't take one more secret right. that he's been right. hiding from me type. That was the situation. Sure. So, wow it turned into a really nice thing for her. And then I just started making them. I made one for my husband and then I made one for somebody else. And it is the material that sells itself. And then I just started having people ask. So it evolved into a business, which is my passion. Wow. And so, and that, how long have you been doing this now? Um, uh, uh, I have to say kind of officially 2015, but, um, as a hobby, I started a little bit before that, before and then that, it evolved sure. into something yeah. like, basically, my husband looked at me one day and says, uh, do it or move on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's like, you're kind of hovering in between a job and a hobby, like, just do it. Yeah. So I did it. Wow. So what, uh, I mean, have you had, I mean, you, have, you mentioned before you have a lot, of, I think you said, Probably about 70% of your clients are female. Is that correct? Um, I'd say 80% of my clients are female. Okay. And um, yeah, most of them are, I haven't branched out a ton outside of the state of Utah. Okay. um, It's challenging. Sure. To break the border of Utah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, What, what are your plans with it? Do you want to, to try to expand outside of Utah? Oh yeah. Or are you comfortable with what you're doing right now? Oh no, I definitely, I'm in a growing phase. Like it, it really needs to grow both. I've met, I mentioned this earlier to you that it's, it's kind of my therapy, my work. It helps me with my really, I have some days I have debilitating depression and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. this doing stuff like this makes me extremely happy and it almost can take the place of therapy for me when I'm right. busy working for sure. Cause I really think about every blanket and where it's going and who's getting it and yeah. what special touch can I make to every, I, people say like, they'll call the studio and they'll say, can, we, can I talk to Brian? And I'm like, Oh no, this is me. <laughs> I am the one and only employee. Right. I am website designer. I am accountant. <laughs> I am social media. You do it all. And yeah. I apologize for my social media. It's horrible. <laughs> but I do the best I can. There really is a talent to social media, by the way. Oh, there is. And I'm, I'm uh, right there and with I you, I do Brian. not have the skill. I, yeah. I am so thankful when somebody <laughs> wants to jump in and help me. Yeah. But it is more of a favor than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like you said, you know, based on what you've gone through growing up and, and being bullied and feeling alone and how this has kind of led to what you're doing now with these blankets. You know, I have, I have this philosophy that I, I, I see that is true is that life happens for us. And I would never wish on anyone what you've been through, Brian, you know, being bullied and again, feeling like you can't share who you really are with people, uh, at least early on. And, uh, 
But I look at that and just listening to your story sitting here, I'm really inspired because as horrific as that has been for you, now you're now you're helping other people who are struggling with whatever it may be, whether it's yeah. the same exact thing that you had gone through or whatever the situation may be, like your friend who was going through that horrific divorce. Right. You know, and now because of your struggle and adversity that you're now helping relieve <clears throat> adversity in others. I would say that, I mean, this could be probably a whole podcast in itself, but I would say that <laughs> right, the time when, maybe even to my own detriment, when I am helping someone else, I throw myself into that 100%. Because somewhere in all of the friendship and relationship troubles that I had growing up, I only felt of worth or valued in that friendship if I was making them laugh Mm -hmm. or if I had come to their aid and I was the shoulder they were crying on. Gotcha. Um, Every time else, I felt like I was more like white noise in the room and Mm -hmm. and not, you could remove me and nobody would notice type thing. So that developed, and believe me, I love making people laugh and I love helping people, but sure. it also can be the the debilitating factor of a person's life because maybe they do they go too far. Right. You know, and sure. and stop developing themselves. Right. So yeah. yeah, I I I would say that I am not uh, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I'm so inspired by so many people's story, but I would definitely say that I am in the thick of it still trying to figure out how to deal with depression, still right. trying to figure out how to pull myself out of bed. Um, yeah, when I'm making blankets, I have more motivation and more happiness. But, you know, when it's July and it's 105 degrees outside, there's no rocket science there. I'm probably not making a ton of blankets sure. during July. During July. So right. yeah. what happens then? <laughs> it It's definitely a... a, a um, a mind game yeah. for me. Yeah. Depression, I don't know. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I have always felt like there's two kinds of depression. There's situation or environmental, which I would categorize as a death in the family or a divorce or mm-hmm. a sadness that has happened that mm-hmm. you grieve and then move on with it. And then the other kind of depression and sadness that I've always felt like is there's clinical, like chemical depression. Mm-hmm. And even when people are thriving with that innate depression, it's still there. Right. I, on some level, when someone talks in about an addiction and how you don't get past like drugs or alcohol, that you learn to live with it. It's not a that you're done with it and you don't mm-hmm. have to look back at, at it. You're turning your life around in the way that you're learning to live with it. Well, I relate with that a lot because depression has never gone away from me. Mm -hmm. I'm always struggling. I'm there are good days and there's bad days, but it's always there. It's just always there with me. I, with one of my therapists, I named it. I stole it from a, a show I saw. I call it my dark passenger because that's the way it feels. Yeah. At times, I don't even know, with depression and suicidal thoughts, there's this thing where you feel like, I'm actually afraid to not have it, because it's been my whole life. It's been there the whole life, yeah. Yeah, which I think also is relatable to people with addictions. You're afraid to lose that feeling of the high. Yeah. It's the other end of the spectrum. Sometimes I'm afraid to lose my depression. Yeah. No, and you know, I... And based on what you've gone through, see, when you go through something very difficult like you have, it creates this belief system about you and your life and about the way you see the world. And this is the way the world is and it's who I am. But I do, I have seen thousands of people. I, I myself have, getting, have gotten past my addictions and, and depression, anxiety that come with that. And I really do believe you can over get to the point where you don't feel like you have this dark passenger with you. And that's a whole nother podcast too. We could sit here yeah. and talk about that for yeah. a couple hours. But I do appreciate your your vulnerability and honesty about it. Yeah. And 
Well, I know, just want people to know that for sure that you're not alone, and that there's not just two people. There's not people that are in the thick of it and people are recovered. Right. I'm the person that I, I feel like I'm progressing. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it. Sure. Sure. Because I've had therapy and I get better, and then I'm, sometimes I slip back. Yeah. No, it's, it's depression is um is a real thing, and I yeah. I really feel for people with it. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. Well, and again, I think you have a lot of compassion for others because of what you went through, and and that's uh, and that's very inspiring to me to hear you say thank these you. things. So, well, thank you. So, how would someone, if they want to, maybe order one of these blankets for for themselves or someone they know that's struggling that could use yeah. kind of like this, you know, safety again, and and to feel like you know, what do you call it, a virtual hug? Yeah, a you virtual know? hug. <laughs> how would they how would they go about doing that? Uh, blanketsbybrian.com has all of the basic essentials. If okay. if you're not looking for any kind of um, customization, then that's the way to do it. It's pretty simple. I try to keep improving my website to make it more and more simple as sure. time goes on. If there's any customization, honestly, I've never said no to anybody. If somebody says they want a triangle blanket, just tell me and I'll make you a triangle blanket. <laughs> right. I don't know why you want it, but I'll make it. But I'll make it. I, yeah. I've never said no to anything as long yeah. as um, it's do as long as I can make it happen. I'm happy to do it. And so with the charm stuff, it is not on my website, but it is so easy to make that for somebody. They just either contact me through the website or blanketsbybrian at gmail.com is the is a, is a, a, another way or just call me in the studio the phone number is right there on my website awesome love it um you know one one couple more things you know if if someone's listening to your story right now brian and they're struggling um you know maybe they're going through the exact same things you've they've been bullied you know they they grew up gay and they kind of had to hold on to that and and and, and keep it a secret because they were afraid of what would happen or just anyone in general who may be struggling, what advice could maybe you give them right now that that would maybe you know help them in a, maybe a, this dark moment that they might be going through? Um, if you've talked to many people about your depression, don't be discouraged if you're not getting the answer that's helping you. Because it only took one person for me to absolutely do a 180 degree turn in my life. Right. A friend, her, her name was Belinda. She is... a I consider one of my best guardian angels ever. I just sat down with her and I had heard the same answer over and over and over from all of my religious friends. But she also was a Mormon person. She just thought about life differently. And I told her, finally confided her my problem. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, so what's the problem? It's the first person that ever said that to me without answers of let's pray more. Let's read the mm -hmm. scriptures. Let's do all this kind of stuff. So my advice is, to definitely keep talking sure. don't stop talking that's yeah. when it gets it yeah. gets overwhelming if you say i can't tell one more person because there is the right person out there that will understand right and of course therapy i get so frustrated with at least this environment in this world where we feel like therapy is only for crazy people yeah. therapy should we be as common <laughs> i think if i had kids i would have start them at the earliest age, so they're no more scared of a therapist than a doctor or a dentist. Right. Like, even if there's nothing wrong, just let them be comfortable with it. Because then when a problem does come up, they don't look at themselves as crazy or something's wrong. Right. My parents or 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 I am just going to therapy just because. Yeah. It's time for a refresher course or something like that. For sure, therapy. But then... It, you know, if you're not in that situation, for sure, keep talking to friends because when I felt like I was going to give up, that's really the turning point for a depressed person is yeah. then then it becomes more plausible with the suicidal thoughts that sure. are, are always tagging along with all yeah. that problems. And yeah. basically she said to me, she says, I don't understand the problem. Do you need a help finding a date? Yeah. And I said, no, wait, you didn't understand me. I said, I think I... I think I like guys. I think I'm gay. And she goes, no, I heard you. I just, yeah. don't, I don't understand the problem. <laughs> yeah. And you're going, I've wait, you're not going to tell me to pray more yeah. or anything. And yeah. so that was the turning point is I finally told the right person. Yeah. And, um, 
that was a huge turning point for me. I just, sure. I can't ever thank her enough. She doesn't yeah. understand how thankful I am. Wow, that's awesome. And that's great advice. I mean, keep talking. And I couldn't agree more. You know, we all need help. You know, you know, even in my line of work, what I do, I, I do this all day long. I counsel, I therapize, I life coach, all that. And I need help. <laughs> oh, my um, God. I, there's people I need, you know, that I, so there's times where I have to sit down and talk with someone and, and, and just listening to your story, Brian, I'm, I'm very inspired by you. Oh, thanks. Um, I admire you. Um, I feel for you. I have compassion and some empathy. I know what it feels like to be bullied a little bit when I was maybe not on the level you went through. But uh, I, I just want to thank you for being willing to come here and be vulnerable mm. and just be honest with me and, and for everyone that's going to hear this. And I know your story is going to help a lot of people. And and uh, I just can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thank you for having me here. I, I strongly encourage people to just keep talking. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of kids get bullied and it's so much worse with the internet now. And yeah, you just have to keep telling people and yeah, people no, want to help. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for Tom. being here. And, and uh, I also am inspired by your your belief cast. I thank I'm you. I'm very inspired by it. It's very nice. Thank you so much. Well, that means a lot coming from you. And well, there you go, folks. Uh, Brian Severson, um, blanketsbybrian.com. Yep. Check it out. <laughs> Thank uh, you. He brought me this beautiful yellow minky blanket that's uh, it's, it's, it's one of the softest things I've ever felt, and it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and again, I love the concept behind it. I love the passion behind it. And what I love even more is how your adversity led to this. Yeah which gives it a ton of uh, I make meaning. every blanket with love with my grandma's sewing machine. World War, <laughs> from World War II. Yeah, all, it's an amazing machine. Yeah, they just don't make them like they that don't. anymore. But uh, <laughs> but there you go. Please reach out to Brian. Please, uh, you you know, if you have a question for him, I'm sure you can reach out to him on his website. Yes. And if you ha have any questions, I'll, I'll get the, I'll relay the message to Brian. But thank you once again, listeners, for your time and uh, again, I told you, another an amazing person who uh, is doing some great things in this world and trying to make a difference. So thanks, everybody. And again, thanks, Brian.